Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 143, Upgrading from Casual to Gamer. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And Anthony, I actually do have an insane episode for you this week. We're not talking about the heaviest of games. We're talking about bringing our friends and family along from those really super casual games up into a completely upgraded, shiny, wondrous gamer level games. Yes, so we got to get them off the target game aisle and to the board game store where we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. So <laughs> let's play a real game, guys. It's true. One of the great things, especially about Kickstarter, is there's been a lot of games out there with some great IPs that have actually kind of introduced the ideas of games to non-gamers. So we're going to talk about what games would bring them from those super casual Kickstarter games up into something that is more of the gamer style game. And actually, this topic was suggested by one of our Patreon backers on our Slack channel, Adrian, and we're bringing it out to you. But before we get to that feature review, Anthony, what's going on with BGA? Any upcoming trips in our future? I don't think so. Oh No, I don't know what you're talking about. Aww. Not this time of year. Just kidding. There's PAX. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> PAX is in like three days. Five days from us recording <laughs> this. We'll be there. Yeah, PAX first first ever PAX Unplugged. So that alone has me very excited. On one hand, it's a brand new con. It's near both of us going to be really interesting to see how they put it on it's going to be in philadelphia on the other hand literally know almost nothing about this convention other than how they ran their other conventions because they have not given us a ton of information so i don't know it'll be great i know there'll be a lot of vendors there i know there's gonna be a lot of people there i know they're close to sold out on at least a couple days and we're gonna play ti4 which finally it's been on the convention list forever. Um, so we're going to have fun regardless of what it's like. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it a lot. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. It's great to see the board gaming community expanding so greatly. I know BGG is going on at the same time. So next episode, we're going to be talking about all the hotness from PAX Unplugged. And we'll also you know check in on BGG and see what's going on there. But PAX Unplugged is really the story right now because, as Anthony said, it's brand new. It's shiny, it's clean, PAX has done a great job with their independent video game market, and we've been to PAX East, and their board gaming area wasn't that bad. So I'm really looking forward to a real kind of full-blown board gaming kind of convention, especially something on the East Coast that we typically don't see, so that's great to have that there. And if you haven't already gotten your tickets, please check that out. Even if you stop by for a day, if you're local to the area, this is the first one. You're going to get something out of this. Hopefully some Essen games. Hopefully some great events, some great workshops. And Anthony and I will be down there. So hit us up on Facebook and everything else and let us know if you want to talk or you know chat a little bit or get together for some great games. So Anthony, with that said, what's going on? What are our people saying about BGA and what's our question of the week? 
All right. Question of the week this week. Uh, I actually had something different and I changed it uh, at the last second this morning, actually, because I posted this question yesterday and we got a ton of responses. People had a lot to say about this. Um, I asked, what do you do with old board games you no longer want need in your collection? So uh, this is near and dear to me because I have boxes of them in my basement that I don't know what to do with. And so apparently a lot of other people do as well. It was interesting to see what they were doing. Uh, Willie mentioned, look, I gave Star Trek five-year mission to people who really wanted it. The way I see it, they were excited to have it, and I was excited to be rid of it. Sure, I don't bother telling them how bad it was, but that's not the issue here. That's um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've pawned off a few games I don't like to people in my game group. It happens. Jeff mentioned he and his group of friends of mine organized video game and board game events to raise money for the Alberta Children's Hospital. My extra board games or games I don't play anymore become used for those charitable events. I may not use them anymore, but at least they are available for other people to play and they still serve a good cause. Jerry says he puts them up for sale at the local friendly game stores used game section. They get 20%. He keeps 80% as store credit. It's easier and they typically go fast if priced reasonably. I would absolutely do that if my store did that. <laughs> I think most people would. That sounds pretty easy. Josh mentions he sells them or donates them to board game ca cafes, often make good homes for them. Another one, if we had a local cafe, I'm sure that would be something a lot of people take advantage of. I don't, unfortunately. And then we had a few mentions of the shelf of shame. Chris mentions he leaves them on the shelf of shame. Um, and yeah, I think we all have at least one of those, possibly more. Yeah, several at least. Yeah. I know myself, especially getting to play these games at the table, they have some sentimental value. I take very good care of them. So just selling them at like, you know, a bargain basement kind of price kind of actually hurts a little bit. So typically I've been giving them to charity events. And probably in the future, I think as people have said, if you do have a local, you know, game cafe or a library or some sort of, you know, co-op or community that may be interested in those games that you kind of burnt out on. That's a really good place to get people in gaming. And you know where your games are, so you can head over there and game them if you choose to do so. All right, Anthony, so that seems what's going on with our Facebook. Don't forget, everybody, we have Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. We have our YouTube channel. We got everything great and every way that you can connect with us, especially with PAX Unplugged coming up. Connect with us before you get there so we know what's going on and hit us up so that we can meet you while we're there. All right, Anthony, with that being said, let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So what do you got up for us this week? All right, so this is an easy one because I know nothing about it. Um, <laughs> Alea and Robinsberger had their little presentation at Essence Bill, and they announced two games, one of which they didn't have a name or anything for. They just said, Stefan Feld has a new game coming out next August. Done. Which, good, I'm on board. <laughs> Bought it. Sounds like it'll be out at Gen Con. I'm there. <laughs> doing it now so so i could talk about that but we know literally nothing about it except it exists the other one that they mentioned is a new legacy game with dice management from inca and marcus brand with artwork by michael menzel called the rise of queensdale okay so the these are a couple of designers who have put out a lot of very interesting stuff over the years tends to be a little bit more on the lighter end but they're very prolific i think the most recent thing i might have played of theirs is word slam so sure. that's not necessarily the weight of games they always make, but, you know, kind of in that ballpark. So this one, they're looking at 45 to 60 minutes, which is what you'd expect from a, a legacy game. And again, I'm looking at the BGG page here, so I don't know a ton about it other than what was put in kind of the presentation notes based on the designers, based on the presentation and the artwork. It's 
It's kind of that medieval style look that you get in like Legends of Andor from Menzel. Looks really cool. So, and I'm a big fan of legacy mechanics in general, and especially taking new mechanics and mixing them in there, like dice rolling and worker placement. I'm really, really excited for Charterstone for that reason. So, I'm interested to see what they do with this, and they've probably been working on it for a little bit. So, uh, this is one that I will be checking out. I think they said it comes out in Germany in the spring and the U.S. in also August. So, this might also be a Gen Con release, although all of that always depends on things being done on time. So, we'll see. <laughs> Well, we got our fingers crossed that hopefully something of that level actually does reach us. That'd be great. All right. Well, I want to talk about a game that recently debuted at Essen, and hopefully it'll be landing at PAX Unplugged. It's a small little game. It's literally called Pocket Mars. Now, what's interesting about this game is right off the bat is the IP. I do love space games. do love Mars games. I know Anthony does too. And basically what you're doing in this game is you are trying to take your astronauts from Earth get them on your ship, get them over to Mars, and then if you can, place them such that they'll take officer roles and you'll score additional victory points. Now, that's pretty simple as far as a kind of pocket game is concerned, but what's really interesting about this game is the cards that are used are very much like Glory to Rome, as in which they have multiple functions in which you can play them. So basically, you're given a hand of four cards, and you have to decide which two cards to kind of place face down on, on the table that will allow you to use the bottom ability of the card. And then the other two cards in your hand, you'll be able to utilize the top ability of the card. Now, these cards also come with special abilities and a certain way in which they have to be played on the different areas in order to produce food and water and technology. But the game has a little kind of twist to it because depending on the card ability you can actually play other people's cards. So if you place your cards down, somebody could play one of those cards. Now, this is actually a decent thing to be able to do because sometimes your strategy is, I want to get rid of these cards that really don't benefit me now and activate a certain ability so I can chain it with an ability that I have in my hand. So you actually get to snowball your abilities, which is something I really like in Euro games by having someone actually use one of your abilities that you set out in front of the table. It's a quick game, really nice, simple artwork, and it's just something I'd probably like to carry around, and I'm hoping to get a chance to play it soon. That's Pocket Mars. Okay, so that's our Acquisition Disorders. Now to our At the Table with BGA. So, Anthony, what actually did hit your table this week? All right, so I was weak and unable to hold onto my money, and I backed Merlin, on Kickstarter. This is the new Stefan Fell game that Queen published. And I'm kind of glad I did just because at some point during the campaign, they said, oh, we may not release this to retail at all. So <laughs> some people were upset about that. Well, it remains to be seen if they'll actually do that. They'll probably do a second edition at some point and then release it. But for now, at least the only way to have gotten it is at a con or Kickstarter. So not a lot of copies floating around out there other than the ones that were bought. They shipped it in a ridiculous amount of time. I Backed it, it, I think, beginning of October and got it at the end of October. It was crazy. So anyways, Merlin. This is a game we got to see a little bit at Gen Con when you get a chance to play it. Um, it has this beautiful round, but the board's not round, but the middle part of it is round, you know, referencing the, the round table. And it's a rondelle. It's rondelle with roll and move. So it is definitely a feld in that there are many, many things going on and you need to manage all of them in a lot of different ways to get points. 
But the few ways it's not really like a Feld, your score is not going to be that high, at least not in the base version of the game. It tends to be in the 50s for me at the high high level, and it goes around to 100. And the mechanics themselves are not that complicated. I think on BGG, it's been tagged with a weight of a 3. I think that's a little high uh, for what it is. And it's it's fairly simple. The complexity comes in the fact that you are going to roll the beginning of your turn four dice, three of them your color, one of them for Merlin. And those dice will correspond for the whole round, of which there are five in the game. Um, I'm sorry, six in the game. And you will move your guy around the round table that many spaces on each turn. So it'll be your turn, you take a die, you move your guy that many spaces. They can only go in one direction. So you have a limited number of options. Now there are a few ways that you can break that. There's these little flags you can pick up and they let you go backwards if you spend them or flip to the other side of the table or take an action from somebody else's location. So it's not really roll and move, but on a very basic level, it's just that. Now in terms of the actions you can take, there are locations you can go to, different nations basically. And when you land there, you can place one of your workers and your workers will give you one of four things. They'll give you a trade good, they'll give you a banner, they'll give you influence on that spot, or they'll give you a shield. And you need most of those things for various things. The shields you absolutely have to have at some point to repel traders that are going to come out. So also not really like a Feld game, you can get negative points if you don't pick up these shields or do something to mitigate those traders. Uh, three times in the game, you're going to have three traders come out, which is a negative nine points if you don't do anything about it. And so that's something you're going to have to do at some point. The influence is important because there are other spaces on the board that let you take actions based on where you have influence. The influence also scores later. Um, the trade goods are important because you turn those in to build on a separate map that's off the board, which feels kind of tacked on, but it's kind of necessary, I think, to have that fourth component in there. And then the flags give you those bonus breaking actions that let you tweak and mess with how you are moving around the board. So everything is important and you have to manage which things you get and where you get them and how you get them. Now, the majority of the point scoring you're going to do is going to come from these cards, these mission cards. The mission cards will have a variety of different conditions on them and they will say, okay, you need to have influence in the blue area and you need to have the orange flag and you need to have the eagle shield. So you need to collect those things. And once you have those things, you turn in the mission, you score those three points and you don't get rid of the things that you need to have. You just need to have them. So once you're done, you can get rid of the mission and then spend your stuff. You need to hold on to the stuff until the mission goes through. Lots and lots of balancing, you know, when to take actions, how to take actions, how quickly to move, when to spend your cubes, when not to spend your cubes because you need them for this mission that you picked up. And then there's the added wrench of Merlin. So there's a white pawn moving around the board, that's Merlin, and everybody can move him. And he can go forward or backwards. So if you really need Merlin to go to a specific spot, then you need to do it as soon as possible before someone else moves him and makes it so you can't get him there because you only have the one die for Merlin. The other wrinkle with Merlin is you have staves. There's three of them. Every time you spend one, wherever you land with him, you can take that action twice. So. It, three times during the game, you can take an action twice, which is very powerful and very useful. Um, so powerful that those staves are worth two points each at the end of the game, which, unlike a lot of Feld games, is actually a lot of points here. And so you have to carefully keep keep track of that at any point in time. And Merlin might move around, so maybe you'll wait because you need him on the other side of the board, wait for other people to move him, that kind of stuff. So overall, 
first time playing the game, I was a little underwhelmed because it's not incredibly complex, but it is very fiddly. So it there's a decent amount of AP as people count around the board and there's a lot of different symbols. Almost all the symbols overlap to some degree. So there aren't actually that many actions here, but there's a lot of things on the board to look at. So the first time through, everybody's just kind of staring at it. Second time through, had a lot more fun with it. Felt like it was, you know, flowed really smoothly. The game is not too long. It was about an hour and a half, which is pretty good um, for the weight of the game. Still felt a little funny about that map off the side of the board because it doesn't really do much other than score you points later. Third time through, added in, there's an expansion that comes with the game that allows you to basically pick up special powers based on the mission cards you play. So instead of scoring a mission card, you can look at the bottom left corner and say, I'm going to take the power of this guy on my own special little board here. And then those things break the game even more. Like, oh, when you build, you can build two at a time. Or when you move, you can move this extra thing. Or every time you complete a mission card, you get an extra point, which adds up a lot. So I think that's necessary. It's tough to say that because the first time people play, throwing that extra iconography in there is almost too much. But an initial play with this game without it just feels I don't know, incomplete. It feels like that was part of the game and they took it off because it was too much to teach everybody, which I feel like is something you could have fixed in development, made it just a little less stuff to try to sort through uh, to get this in there. There's also a Queenie that came with the game. I don't know if that'll ship with it in the future. I haven't played with that in the game yet, but I've heard people say it, it adds to it as well. So Merlin's one of those games I really, really, really wanted to love because it's a Feld and you always want to love his games. And somehow this game is, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's rare for a field to kind of fall in the middle of like that for me. I usually really like them or I just don't. But it's a it's a strong play for me. It's not really a buy yet. I don't regret purchasing it. I'm going to keep it in rotation because I'm enjoying playing it. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, reinvented the rondelle or reinvented this, you know, the the dice placement aspect um, that he utilizes. Um, but there's some really cool ideas here. And I'm interested to see with additional mini expansions, because there's you know, the one I haven't used yet and another one coming in the mail soon, how that plays. And once everybody I'm playing with has played it multiple times, how quickly it flows and how many strategies we see kind of come out. Because there are a couple of strategies here that if you do them are pretty powerful, but you have to rely on the luck to be able to do it and other people have to let you do it. So kind of rely, you know, you need other people to not... Everybody needs to be paying attention, basically. <laughs> so they all need to understand the game well enough. But yeah, it's one of those deceptively simple, there's a lot more complexity here than you might think uh, kind of games. It's really fun to look at. And um, I really like the Rondell mecha mechanics of it. This is kind of the mechanic that I would like to see in other games because I think you can do some pretty cool stuff with it. So strong play, um, more more plays coming up for sure. Oh, okay. And I just wanted to kind of do a little shout out about that. If you're still looking to pick up Merlin and you're not going to be at a convention anytime soon they're currently running a kickstarter for all of their little queenie i guess promo expansions but in this kickstarter that's running until november 17th you can actually pick up merlin pioneers and immortals as part of that campaign so you still have some oh, time nice. to pick that up a little bit of the downside i think it's it's not fulfilling until february so you know, if you want this game, you can still pick it up. You have a couple of days left. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it must be like the next printing of it. All right. So I want to talk about a game that I got to the table that is, I guess, an evolution of another game. All right. So I want to talk about Evolution Climate. Now, this is a standalone game. 
And in some ways, it's an expansion to the traditional evolution game that we have known to come and love. We've talked about evolution many, many times in its different formats. The original evolution, evolution in the beginning, which was a kind of nerfed kind of target version. Evolution Flight, which brought in birds and kind of obviously flight to the evolution universe. Basically, evolution is all about creating these different species, adding on these different traits by using cards, building up their body size, building up their population. And typically, if you're an herbivore, you're getting a lot of these defensive techniques to be able to protect yourself from the carnivores that are going to try to eat you. And as the game goes on, you're playing cards into a middle area that's going to control the food supply. You're going to try to eat that plant food. Or if you're a carnivore, you're going to try to eat the other players a little bit. And basically, the game comes down to whoever picked up the most food wins that game. Now, in climate evolution, what you're looking at here is basically, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this, I've seen these expansions before. Typically, these expansions are global effect cards. And I can actually say here, it's literally global effect cards because evolution climate is actually about the evolution of the climate. So as you're playing the base game of evolution, nothing's changed here with the exception that when you add cards to the general food supply, those cards could have on them either snowflakes or sun. Now, depending on which has the majority there, you are going to move this token on top of this kind of larger mat or board. It's kind of like a rectangle that shows the climate from like completely freezing to completely scorchingly hot. And as the game goes on, you'll be able to see what turned out at that, you know, food hole. And then you'll move that little token either closer to the cold or closer to the warm. And as the game goes on, there are these global effect cards that will be placed somewhere on this track. And if that token moves over to that global effect card, that global effect takes effect. So it could be something like a volcanic eruption. And then it says, after the feeding phase is over, move the climate marker to cold. And then that's dangerous because on the cold side of the board, you're going to lose population based upon your size on the smaller size. Now, on the hot side, if the temperature gets too hot in the climate, then the population that's going to be lost is the larger body size creatures that you are developing and evolving. So no matter which way you go, someone's going to lose something. And if it moves to the extreme, everyone's going to lose part of their population. So it's not just about the food now. It's all also about the different climate conditions and the global effect cards that take place here. Now, if you played this before, you know it has a little bit of take that, a little bit of a tableau building element to it. And it's pretty much a, a simple game that you can get pretty much with any kind of gateway gamer. Climate adds something that I think that the game was missing, especially since with evolution, they were really going for a, I wouldn't say truly scientific, but you know, along that line, it was it was moving towards trying to explain and show the how evolution works and the different traits and how they come into play and how all these different species balance each other out. So adding climate does a lot for this game and where typically evolution was a play, and I, you know, I thought you should sit down and play the game. 
climate brings it up to, I would say, a buy. Because it just adds something more strategic to the game that it just did not have before. Once again, nice artwork, good components, pretty much everything you said you saw previously, but just more of the same, which in this case is not bad for an expansion slash standalone. I should also mention that if you don't pick up the standalone game, you can pick up a conversion kit for your standard evolution and you don't need that big box. So pick up the conversion kit or pick up the big box. You won't do wrong. It's a buy and uh, overall a solid game for gateway gamers. That's great to hear. Yeah, I still, after all these years, after playing the prototype and original version of the game, I still have not gotten Evolution back to the table, still have not gotten a chance to play it in a form that I actually enjoyed. So uh, now that they have all these different versions out and it's been upgraded and enhanced, I definitely need to do that at some point. Definitely. All right, so let's get on to our feature review this week. As we talked about earlier, we got suggestions on our Slack channel, especially from Adrian, that... You, just like we do, have gamers in our life that are just casual gamers. And especially gamers that come across games watching Kickstarter. They see something that's exciting and kind of blowing up on social media. Typically something that's a great IP, something funny, something interesting, something charming for kind of the masses. And those people put that in a nice little kind of game format and they sell a bazillion dollars here. So for example, what I want to talk about this week is probably one of the biggest games that's ever been on Kickstarter. I know Kickstarter keeps you know getting bigger and bigger each day, so I don't want to say it's the biggest, but at one point was the biggest game on Kickstarter, and that was Exploding Kittens. Yeah. <laughs> so Exploding Kittens, based on this really funny kind of artwork and comic, kind of hit the scene. Everyone was enamored with it. It was in Target. It was in all these big box stores. People were playing it. They were bringing it to game nights. And if you were kind of a hardcore gamer, you were crying a little bit, but you felt glad that there were new people at the table and you wanted to bring people uh, maybe another step. Now, typically when we talk about the next deck games, typically we're talking about bringing gateway gamers into heavier games, more complex games, a lot more fun games. But we want to take a step back even further and talk about those casual gamers that are enjoying a game like Exploding Kittens, which typically is kind of like a card-based, I don't know, Russian roulette. Because in Exploding Kittens, you're basically picking up a card. If it's, you know, an Exploding Kitten, you're going to die. And basically, you're out of the game and you've been eliminated. But you have cards in your hand that could shuffle that card back down or could possibly defuse that card. So you get to live to see another card draw. And basically, that's it as far as the game is concerned. But we want to talk with you, kind of the gateway to the hardcore gamers, about a couple of games that can bring those casual gamers into our gaming world and won't scare them away because these games fit in that kind of casual exploding kitten type of way. So Anthony, why don't you start us off with one of those games and how that relates to kind of the exploding kitten phenomenon. Yeah, so we'll go from exploding kittens and fun, goofy oatmeal artwork to uh, The Grizzled by Charlie Hebdo Artists. It's it's totally the same, guys. No, but The Grizzled is just a brilliant, fantastic game. This does bring people together in a way that a lot of co-ops really can't even. There's an expansion already out that makes it slightly easier in some ways and slightly more difficult in other ways, but it also has a solo mode in it for those who are... And then there's a second expansion, I believe, coming out that it's going to add a campaign to it. So that'll be pretty interesting to see as well. Yeah, if you're looking for that kind of player elimination situation where basically 
It's all about playing cards at the right time to avoid blowing up. The Grizzled is just like that, but if you blow up, everybody blows up. So you got to kind of play strategically in order to kind of save the group. So it takes that kind of like blow up in your face type of exploding kittens mechanic and makes it a group phenomenon. And once again, great artwork, great game, brings people from that casual game and with those mechanics that they know into the next level. All right, Anthony, what's up next? No thanks. All right, I'll go then. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the game. Oh. Yeah. No thanks is oh, just this fantastic little card game. It's you, you're basically, you have a certain amount of chips in your hand. You place them on it if you either take the card and the chips or you place your token down um, because you don't want the card. It's essentially a trick-taking game, but with a resource management element mixed into it. And it's it's one of the few games in that kind of small family that I actually rather enjoy. Yeah, especially if you're playing those exploding kitten games with people and it's all about trying to screw your neighbor by pressing your luck. This does that probably the best way possible. And it's such a substantially good gateway game that I don't think there's really anyone who could kind of like not like this game. It really has a little bit of everything for everyone. All right, Anthony, what up? What's up next? Broom Service. Okay. Broom Service is so Broom Service is great. It is a game in which you it's it's kind of an area control element game. You have this board and you're trying to move around, you're taking actions on the board, but really the core of the game is you have cards in your hand. Everybody has the same cards and you're playing certain ones to take certain actions and either go brave or you go cowardly. But the trick is if, if somebody else goes brave after you, then you don't get to do anything. So it's not and the brave actions are better by far, but there's a risk to it. So there's always that kind of gambling, press your luck element to it. Especially if you go early on, you're not gonna wanna go brave because someone else is gonna go right after you. But if you know other people aren't have no reason to play that card, then maybe you're safe and you can get away with it. So it's, it's a very interesting kind of trying to get in other people's heads and think through and manipulate when you play your actions and how you play your actions so that you can take as many of those brave actions as possible because that's the way you're gonna be able to get the most actions and do the most things on that board. It's a whole lot of fun. You know, adds enough new elements to the table that it feels like a substantial game without being a big, heavy game. Sure. This is definitely one of the best gateway gamers games when they're looking for a press your luck game with cards. So if you got somebody who loves to kind of push their luck and let it blow up in somebody else's face, this is probably the best game to kind of bring them along. All right, so what's up next is Deep Sea Adventure. This is a little tiny, tiny box game. It's so adorably cute that those Exploding Kitten fans would definitely want to get in on this. And this is from Oink Games. And basically, you have this little submarine and you have this little treasure trove that goes deep into the ocean. And you're, you and everybody else are divers. So you're going down this little road to get treasure and get it back up to the submarine. Not a problem, right? But here's the thing. As you go down and you start to pick up the treasure, oxygen starts counting down. And based upon how many players you have in the game and how much treasure they're getting, oxygen goes really quick. So once again, another press your luck game that's going to put really people kind of like on point where they can be eliminated and not receive their treasure. So how deep do you go makes a big deal here because if you want that big score, you got to go really deep on this deep sea adventure. Yeah, this is fantastic. It's got a decent amount of strategy. It's got the kind of the core basic idea of pick up and, and deliver, but it's just it's a real simple press your like style game, very lightweight, but you're not going to feel 
it's not you're not playing exploding kittens you're playing like a decent game I, the only real way to get this guy is online but it's fairly affordable as well so another wacky game that we want to talk about to add to that list is welcome to the dungeon here's another press your luck game with outstanding artwork a really fun theme to bring those casual gamers up to the gateway level basically what you're doing here is you're all adventurers going down to the dungeon you're trying to get all this treasure but you're trying to press your luck against all these baddies that could possibly be in the dungeon so you got to make a decision do you want to take and get all this equipment or do you want to put bad things in the dungeon so you're putting stuff there you're taking stuff away people are not sure what's in there and your loot is helping or hurting you based upon what stuff is down there so it's a great press your luck game a great elimination game just like exploding kittens and it's a good kind of fun game yeah i mean there's just a little bit of a i mean like any good bluffing and uh press your luck game there's a little bit of guessing here but the game is so short that it's not like you don't feel punished if you guess wrong or if you just make a bad move or if you just get hurt by the draw it's it's quick it's fun it's accessible and you can play like four or five rounds of it in an hour sure and finally i want to talk about a game that's probably a little bit more on the heavy gateway level but typically when you play exploding kittens it's a very take that type of game and you want to see that game blow up in someone's face so i want to talk about cult express now this is a programming game that let's be honest lets you shoot your friends steal their gold knock them across the train cars and, you know, it's kind of a fun, whimsical type of game. The artwork is great. The programming is not difficult at all. And it's just one of those kind of games that when they get to see that train that's all built up and get to place their characters and move their characters around that train, they're going to fall in love with this game. It's got great table presence. And it's really going to bring those casual gamers up to the next level. Oh my gosh, yeah. You put this you just pull the train out and people are like, I'm in, what is it? Doesn't matter. I'm playing. It's a toy. You're playing with a toy. That's great. Lots of great expansions for this too. It's not just this, you know, core experience. If people really enjoy it, you can add pieces to it and kind of build it out into something a little bit more. Absolutely. All right. So that is six games to help bring your casual gamer friends, especially if they're exploding kittens friends, and I know they're out there to the gateway level gamers. We want to bring them up slowly. We want to respect the fact that they love those casual games and bring them up to the gateway level because there's so much great stuff up there. These six games should bring them up to that next level and then we can talk about the next next step games later. All right, until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you and your casual gamer friend a seat at our table. <laughs>